Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's turn to the Bible now, Mark chapter 3. Um, check the time. Mark chapter 3. Um, we're going to start in verse 1. We've been walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. How many of you have been enjoying the Gospel of Mark? All right, all right. Jonathan's been enjoying it. Poppy, Poppy says, come on now. That, I think that means yes in church. In church language, that's, that's, that's preach it, brother. That's, that's good. That means, it's, that means it's good. That's what that means. I'm, I'm trying to pull it up here in my, uh, my digital Bible. Um, okay, it's taking a minute. Last week, um, those of you that, that were here last week, um, you, you heard the message from the end of chapter 2 of Mark. Unfortunately, it was not recorded really. Well, part of it was, but anyway, we, we wasn't live. Um, there was a problem uh, with the firmware in one of our machines. So everybody who relies on online, I'm sorry that you guys could not join with us. And I'm sorry that you missed out because um, you missed, I thought was a, was a good word about the end of Mark chapter 2, which is really the first confrontation that Jesus has with the religious leaders um, and, it, and it's surrounding the Sabbath. Uh, they've had some questions of him in the past, right? They've had some, some questions. So my, my Bible app is not working, I guess. Maybe it needs updated. I don't know. Something's wrong with you version. So uh, if we could just put it up on the screen, we'll just read together from the screen. Here it is. And so this is after the fact. Now, the main point of last week's message was Jesus' words at the end of uh, chapter 2 where he says, The Son of Man, that's him, is Lord of the Sabbath. And Sabbath is uh, Sabbat. Even now, um, um, religious Jews, observant Jews will, will observe Sabbat, which is a time of a day of rest, a day, uh, a day set aside for God. And for us, it's kind of uh, like Sunday, right? So for us, we celebrate God, we rest, we, we, we take a day of rest on Sunday because this is an eternal principle. This is something I talked about last week that started on uh, this, oh my gosh, my whole all my notes are gone. Nice. So this is going to be a good, long sermon. I got no boundaries. I, got, I don't know if I just lost connection to the internet or something. Wow. Okay. So, um, man, uh, let's go. Let's go. All right. You guys ready? You guys are going to buckle your seatbelts a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get, get some recap here. Um, let me see. I got my phone. Maybe my phone will work. Um, the, the, if nothing else works, sometimes the old cell phones will work. Yes. <laughs> We're in. We're in, people. Um, Jesus' lordship over the Sabbath, Sabbath is um, historically is a day of rest. It's a day where God rested. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, it says that he rested. And it's not just a historic fact. It's not just a cycle that he started for us that Chick-fil-A has carried on. Come on, somebody. <laughs> It's not just a cycle, that, but it is healthy, by the way, to rest. You need to take a break. Whatever you do, if you, if you make chicken sandwiches, you need to take a break. If you're a pastor, sometimes you need to take a break. If you're a welder, sometimes you need to take a break. Whatever you do, you cannot do 24-7. You must have scheduled, consistent rhythms of rest. 
And I feel like that's a good sermon for American population. So, because we're not good at that. Because it's like when we're resting, we're not productive. And it's like, oh no, 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 actually you are productive. You're way more productive when you're resting. Because you're not just getting ready for the stuff that's coming. When you start resting, your, your, your mind turns on. Your imagination turns on. You, you find a different way to look at things. You find a different way to deal with problems. You find wisdom when you rest. So wisdom is so very helpful. So anyway, it's not only an ancient pattern that God established for us. It's also prophetic, right? It's prophetic. Hebrews tells us that there remains a day of rest for the people of God, that there remains a rest that we can enter into. It's prophetic of Jesus, that Jesus would come and that Jesus would be our Sabbath rest. Jesus would be the one in whom we would stop striving and working in our own strength, and we would rest in his power and in his ability and in his goodness, right? So it's prophetic. It's past, but it's also prophetic of a day when man would no longer become righteous with God according to what they did and didn't do, but rather according to the, the goodness of God, according to Jesus, and that Jesus would then empower us. Not so that we do nothing. God was very productive on his day of rest. He's been resting ever since. And he's been very productive. Uh, I mean, he's been doing a whole lot. Even today, he's moving and showing up and changing lives and changing hearts, but he's doing it from a place of rest, not a place of work. And God wants all of us to do that. He wants all of us to be immensely productive, serving him, helping others from a place of rest, not from a place of trying to earn something, right? So this is, so it's past, but it's also prophetic. Like something's happening on this Sabbath day and Jesus is dealing with this. And, and he says that the son of man, he, he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so immediately Mark moves from that little teaching moment and there was, there's a lot of red letters last week, a lot of words of Jesus last week. And this is what Mark will do. Jesus, Mark will often have a little teaching moment and then he'll immediately have an action story to show you what the teaching moment was supposed to mean. To, to sort of like a practical application of the theoretical principle that he just laid down for us. So this is the practical application of Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, when Jesus is in charge, when when when... When, 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 when Sunday is his day, when a day of rest is, 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 is found in him, this is what happens. And so I want us to look at this. Mark tells us in chapter 3 that he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they, this is the, the Pharisees, the people that were just challenging Jesus in the previous verses, they watched him closely, whether he would heal him, on the Sabbath. So this is the Sabbath day. Now the synagogue is, a, is not the temple. This is a local place of worship for uh, observing Jews who are far away from the temple. They can't go to the temple. And so they would create these sort of mini temples, not much bigger actually than this room right here. They would come and they would listen to a teaching from the Torah, not much different than us, reading from the word of God and, and, and breaking it down for you. And they would also sing songs. They would sing psalms from the book of Psalms. And then they would usually go home 
and sit with their family and open, open uh, other uh, religious writings, right? And, and they would read those. They would contemplate God. They would talk about God among, with, with their family at home. That's kind of the way that, that, that the Sabbath would go for your average re- religious Jew. And Jesus is in the synagogue probably teaching. He's doing that pretty frequently. And so this is on the Sabbath. This is on Sabbath. He's there in the synagogue. And there's a man who has a withered hand. And there's also religious people there at church is always religious people and Jesus and Jesus loves them it's not a bad thing by the way we often are like eh, religious people well no like Jesus is reaching out to them even as he's dying on the cross even as he's laying out on the cross and he's hanging from the cross he speaks a word to them and and I don't know if we'll get to that in the gospel of Mark I think it's it's the other gospel but uh, he speaks a word to them that only they would get He's still reaching out to them. So no matter how religious you are, (laughs) Jesus still is reaching out to you. He is not writing you off. He has not canceled you yet. (laughs) No matter what you've tweeted or what you've posted or what you believe or where you are, God is still reaching out to us. And so this is a beautiful picture, actually, because he's not cutting them out. But Mark does say, look, this this is where there starts to become a rift between the religious leaders and Jesus. And this is what's happening. They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Accuse him of what? Accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Talked about last week how they had, I think it was 38 different rules around the Sabbath that on top of God's rule where God said uh, that you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, that you shall not reap and you shall not sow during that time. They added 39 more rules to kind of help keep them away from the very edge of reaping and the very edge of sowing. In other words, they created guardrails. And I talked about last week how guardrails are good. It's good to have some guardrails in your life, right? The scripture talks about not becoming drunk, right? So for me, a guardrail is I don't drink any alcohol at all. Not that drinking alcohol is bad, but I don't even want to get close to getting drunk. But the truth is some people do drink alcohol and they're not sinning by having a drink of alcohol. So what happens is religious people, they can say, hey, um, I am, I've created this guardrail for myself where I don't drink any alcohol. And then this brother over here drinks some alcohol and I'm going to judge him based on my guardrail. So it's a guardrail, not a battering ram, okay? So you, guardrail's good to keep you off the, out of the ditch, right? Guardrails on roads keep you out of the ditch. For me, I mean, like, I, I never drank coffee until I started drinking coffee. Now I only drink coffee all day, every day, a lot of espresso, coffee, coffee, coffee. That's just my personality. I find something, I like it, I'm going to have it as much as I possibly can. I have my own little maker in my own, this morning, I get in there, I get my, 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 my quad shot, I get going for the day, you know what I'm saying? So you know that's kind of how I roll so I don't think I should try Budweiser I just think I should stay away from all of that like I just don't even want to go there right but I can't judge somebody else based on my guardrail but this is what religion does religion will take a guardrail use it as a battering ram and start accusing other people of breaking the law of God for really just breaking the guardrail that they set up for themselves when I was a teenager God called me not to date And I think that's smart. I think most teenagers should not be messing around with other, like, yeah, I mean, a a really dangerous thing. Take a a boy who's 15 who's got hormones through the roof. Take a girl who's 14 who's got hormones through the roof. Put them together alone in a car at midnight. (laughs) Usually good thing not going to happen. So it's just common sense. But it's it's not wrong. It's not sinful to date. 
And so I had a guardrail as a 15-year-old that I wasn't going to date. But I can't judge other people based on my guardrail. I can't say, oh, well, those less holy people are over there dating. <laughs> right? And some of you are like, what, dating, that's a big deal. What's that? Yeah, I know. Like, but but wherever, wherever you come from, I guarantee there's some things that God has spoken to you about, God's dealt with you on. And, and unless it's actual sin, you got to be careful. Not to, not, not to judge other people based on that. And this is what's happening. These guys are judging based on their guardrails. So Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath. And they say, okay, we're going to watch him to see if he does. Verse number three, he said uh, to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. That's what he said to the man. Then he said to them. To the Pharisees. So he first calls out the man, asks him to step forward. Then he says to the religious folks who are there, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them uh, <laughs> with, what's that word right there? Anger. Uh, this, Caleb will not tell you this. But, but, but God gets ticked off sometimes. <laughs> God gets mad. And he's not sinful. I remember one time I was sharing a story. Uh, I was preaching and sharing a story about a time when I got mad. And um, I was trying to, you know, just prove a point. I was talking about a point. There was this time I got mad. And I stepped down from preaching and someone came up to me afterward. And they're like, and, and they, they were talking about that story. And they said that they also knew like I think it was their friend or whatever was a was a preacher's kid and and the, anyway as as a young person they knew a pastor who had a, who had a major anger problem they also knew somebody who had a major anger problem and I said well I don't have an anger problem I just get mad sometimes that's not an anger problem that's called getting mad sometimes if you never get mad you might want to check your pulse. You see if you're alive, see if everything's working. You might want to go to a doctor, get this up here checked out, make sure that everything's work, make sure everything's good. Because anger is a part of God's nature. And if it's a part of God's nature, it should also be a part of God's people's nature. Right? And so it's not wrong to get mad. Now it's the question of what are you getting mad at? Jesus looks around at them and he's he's angry at them. I wasn't going to title this sermon when God gets mad, but I figured that might not be good, but this is why he's mad because he was, and Mark gives us this information, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. By the way, this is a good anger lesson. Anger is a cover-up emotion, which is what my wife taught me because she studied this in psychology. Anger is a cover-up emotion. It's not even an actual emotion. Anger is what you feel when you feel something else. It's what you feel when you feel maybe disappointed, when someone's violated uh, boundaries, uh, when, when, when you're grieved, when you're sad. So anger is on top of, this is the expression of Jesus. It's an expression of anger, but it's coming from a place of grief, which is also coming from a, a desire for them to do something different. And so he's angry because of the hardness of their hearts. And so then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out with the Herodians, plotted how they might kill him. So today I want to talk to you just quickly about this. I guess this is the title of my message. Because I feel like this is what Jesus was saying in this moment. You are missing it. You are 
missing what God is doing. This passage could really also be entitled, like, when, when Jesus, like, because this is what happened. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And then Mark chapter 3, he steps into, on, on the Sabbath, on the day that is apparently a day for him, he steps into a place that is a place for him. On the day that is for him. And then he comes against the people who were in charge of that day who thought it was for them. This is really Jesus taking over his own territory. This is really Jesus reclaiming his real estate was another R&R kind of sermon title I thought maybe it could be, but I don't know. It's, It's Jesus taking back authority of the place that was created for him on the day that was created for him. It's him taking charge. He just said, I am Lord of the Sabbath, and now he is living that out. Now he is stepping into that that role of authority over this day. He comes to church. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's in charge, and this is what happens. And this is how different things are when he's in charge than they were beforehand. Beforehand, there's a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees are watching that man. They notice him. They see him. They see his withered hand, but they don't actually see him him. That's kind of interesting. They just see his wither hand. They see this situation as a potential situation where somebody may break the rules and where they may be able to accuse somebody. And so prior to Jesus taking over the Sabbath, the Sabbath was not, it had become not a day of rest. It had become a day of worry and of anxiety and of pessimism and of work and of judgmentalism. It was a day where people come in and we see who shows up and who doesn't. It was a day where people come in and we see who's wearing what they should and who isn't. It was a day when people came in and we see who's doing what they should be doing and who's not doing what they should be doing. Therefore, it was no longer a day of rest. It was another day of work, just a different kind of work. It was a day of presenting something to those around us so that we check off the box and make sure that we meet their approval. Which is, which, hey, and I know you're all looking at me like, boy, those are those people stupid. Well, you know, I mean, we kind of do the same thing. Do the same thing because like I'll run into somebody like at Walmart or something who like used to come to City Chapel like years ago and I'll be like hey hey so and so how's it going and, and I'll say hi to them they'll say hi to me and then and then as they're leaving they'll be like I'll see you Sunday and I'll be like but will you though I mean really like I, I, I wasn't planning on coming to Walmart on Sunday so I don't think but it's just <laughs> It takes you a minute to get there. Like, this is the place where we meet apparently now, Walmart. That's where, we, where, it's where I meet up with former members of City Chapel. But they, they, they still feel guilty. And I just want to say, look, 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 if I don't see you Sunday, that's not the point. Like, I'm not, like, that's not all you are to me. You're not just somebody who shows up on Sunday. You're not just somebody who, like, that's not how I know that you're okay. Because there's plenty of folks showing up on Sunday who are not okay. Right? There's guys with withered hands. <laughs> there's people with, with, with issues, with withered parts of their life. Everything else is good, but there's that one squeaky wheel. There's that one part. They just can't seem to get figured out. And they're, they're here, and that's fine. 
Like, there's this, this a bunch of imperfect people. And so it's not my job to try to make everybody perfect. It's not my job to try to make, it, make sure everybody shows up, make sure everybody tunes in. Like, that's not, that, but, but, but in this religious culture sometimes, I think especially in Texas, you get brought up to be like, okay, I need to check this off the box so that the pastor will be happy with me. And so they'll say that even though I, I, they're not going to come to church. Like, they don't, and that's okay. But it's just, there's this, they, it's the, they think I have this expectation on them. And I feel like Jesus is dealing with this exact same thing because he walks into an environment that's also unhealthy, a system that's not working. They're all missing it. <laughs> They're all missing the point. They're missing the point of the day. They're missing the point of the place. They're missing the point of the reading of the Torah. They're missing the point of the singing of the Psalms. This is not about more work. It's not about more effort. It's not about your righteousness, making you better, somehow checking off something off the list. They're missing it. And Jesus is now taking charge, and we see what happens when Jesus takes charge. First off, he does, he does a few things. So, okay, so I'm checking my time, but he does, he does three things. Number one, to those who are in the back, he calls them to step forward. When Jesus is in his house on his day, and he is in charge, he calls those who are in the back, and he calls them to step forward. Now, I know this guy was in the back because he has a withered hand. And uh, like we read earlier in chapter 1, when Jesus cleansed the leper, he healed the man who had leprosy. Um, it would seem that this man was in the synagogue. And as I was reading one of the commentaries, it, they mentioned that, yes, lepers and people with skin diseases, which is probably what the withered hand man has. He has a skin disease that's causing the flesh to, to, to fall away and his hand is withering and strength. He's losing strength. In it. And, and, and uh, people with skin diseases, they were allowed in the synagogue. They were not allowed in the temple, but in the local synagogues, they were allowed there as long as they stayed in the back behind a partition. So I don't know if they built partitions in the synagogue like for them or if they brought their own partition. I'm not sure how that works. But, but anyway, they were allowed in the back as long as they stayed behind something. And so when I preached on, on that back in chapter 1, I talked about how we have these partitions and we have these things that we hide behind so that people don't see our problems and our issues. And then what happens is Jesus can't heal them until he can get past those things. And so Jesus, in that story, I don't know if you guys remember, but in that story, it simply says that the man cried out to Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, it says he cried out to Jesus. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So the picture, the idea is he's probably in the back. He's probably back there behind a partition. And Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And some, he hears a voice from the back saying, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And so what Jesus does in that instance is he stops the sermon. Like he sets the scroll down. He comes down from his holy place of preaching and teaching. And he walks all the way. And that's tough for the camera, but it's okay. He walks all the way to the back. Back here to, hey man, how's it going? Back here to this guy. And, and this is partition. And he deals with the man right where he's at. Right? Because he's not allowed to come forward. Because uh, like... Within the system, you're not allowed to step out from your petition. So Jesus has to come to him. And by the way, Jesus will do that for us. Like that's what's awesome is that some of us could not come to him. So he came to us. We cried out to him from behind our partition. And he saw us when other people couldn't see us. And he walked all the way to the back. And the Bible says that he touched the man. Meaning he reached around the partition or over. I don't know how that worked. But he touched him. And when Jesus touched him, 
He didn't make Jesus unclean. He didn't make, didn't give Jesus leprosy. Jesus's purity made him clean. It dealt with his leprosy, right? And so the touch of Jesus, so you see that in Mark chapter one, but now Mark tells us another story, which is different. This time Jesus is up here teaching and he sees a man who has a withered hand who's probably in the back behind a partition. And the religious leaders also see that and they would have seen what happened last time but actually, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I wonder because Jesus told the man not to tell anybody. So part of me kind of wonders if last time in Mark chapter 1, if the guy cried out and Jesus walked back there, right? And uh, every, you know, he's, he's back here and Jesus doesn't have a microphone. And Jesus just kind of reaches around, touches him, heals him. Hey, by the way, don't tell anybody. All right, cool. <laughs> and he comes back here and he keeps teaching. And the religious leaders are like, what is that all about? But the Bible says that that man went and he went out and told everybody. So at some point, they're like, hey, that's what that was all about. Hey, whoa, whoa, it's the Sabbath. You can't be working. You can't be healing people, right? And so it's like, it's, 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 so it's almost like they were, they, were, they were late to know it. They didn't know it because Jesus pulled a sneaky on them. <laughs> Very, very sneaky. You am afraid you underestimate the sneakiness. You cannot. <laughs> That's a great movie, man. I gotta bring that back. Uh, anyway. <laughs> it, like, and they're like, all right, we're gonna get him this time. Because now he just said he's Lord of the Sabbath. He thinks he's in charge. Okay, well, now we're watching him. You're not going to walk to the back and talk to those lepers and guys with withered hands and stuff. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to watch him. And Jesus knows this. But now Jesus wants to, like, this, this is what's really cool. He calls the man to step forward. <laughs> that guy's not allowed to do that. He's not, he's not allowed to get out from behind his partition. So this is what's so interesting. When Jesus is in his house on his day and he's in charge, he will call people who feel that they are not equipped or not ready or not prepared or not allowed to step forward and he will call them to do it. And it's so interesting. This whole story depends on that man's willingness to step forward. If that man doesn't step forward, we don't have Mark chapter 1. Or Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 6. We don't have that story. So this is, this is the beautiful thing. Jesus' lordship and his demonstration of power is often on the other side of our willingness to step forward. And I believe right now in this season, God is calling people. And you, you might be sitting in the front. I'm not picking on folks in the back. But where, you, might be sitting, I, I, you might be watching online. You didn't even get out of bed this morning. And you're, you're like, <laughs> Lord's calling you to roll over. And uh, <laughs> he's calling you to step out. No, but because everybody's step is going to be different. So some people's step is to re-engage in community. Because they got comfortable Zooming with Jesus on Sunday. <laughs> like online, like they got, they got comfortable with that, right? And, 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 and for them, it's like, okay, God's calling me to step forward. And that step is just simply to go to a small group or, or, or to come to ch in church in person and to, and to engage in a conversation with somebody, to hug somebody's neck, to touch somebody. That may be the next step. That may be what it is to step forward for you. For some of us, the step forward is to start tithing because we've been tipping. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But, it, but it's true. Like you, and it was, I was talking to somebody about this this week. When you grow up, and I'm not trying to throw shade at, 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 at anyone, but when you grow up in certain religious environments in Texas, <laughs> you don't actually put God first in your money. You just kind of grab five bucks or something you have in your pocket. You put it in the plate while it goes by. And, and this, is, this is just what you're taught, that you ought to, well, it's like a tip. Like if the pastor does a good job today, we'll give a little bit. If I feel a little something, we'll give a little bit. If I'm here, I'll give a little bit. Like, it's just kind of, you just give a little bit. And the, and, and the truth is, though, God doesn't bless when you give a little bit. You don't actually, it's, it's, this is the robbery. You actually lose money that way. You literally lose money because you're not actually putting God in charge of, in front of your finances. He doesn't get your first fruit. He doesn't get the best. He gets second best, and then he can't bless second best. So you're literally just giving money to something that's not an investment at all. And so this is why putting God first, putting God as the first fruits, the 10% off the top, it's so much more than just giving money to a church. It is literally saying every, every minute I spent earning this money, Every minute I spent earning this money, I want to be a part of worship. This is what I was talking to somebody about this week, that when we tithe, when we take 10% off the top, what, because Americans, we spend a lot of time making money, right? It's a, a lot of our time goes toward money, at least 40 hours a week for most of us. Some of us, 60 hours a week. Some of us are working two jobs. We're like 80 hours a week. We're spending a lot of time. A lot of our time goes to money. And I'm not trying to like say that's bad, it's just the culture is where we're at. We kind of, if you want to live in Austin, you need to do that, unfortunately, to pay rent. But we spend a lot of time making money. But when we put God first of our finances and we give him the 10% of our money off the top, what we're saying is that literally 10% of every minute I spent working for this was worship. When I was out on that business trip, I wasn't just on a business trip. I was promoting the kingdom of God. That when I die and I stand before God, I'm going to say, Lord, I pushed your church forward. I paid for that employee. I paid for that building that brought people in that heard the gospel. I paid for that live stream that went down last Sunday, but usually works. And, and, and you know, I, like, like I, I, promoted, I promoted the gospel with the cash I had so that it doesn't all go back in the box, actually. You know, the old saying that they don't work too hard because it all goes back in the box. No, when you use your money to promote the kingdom of God, it doesn't go back in the box. Souls don't go back in the box. Souls are eternal. There's some people we're going to meet in heaven. And they're, 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 maybe they're from the Karen that we're promoting over, that we're supporting over there near Burma. Maybe they're from uh, Puerto Rico. I don't know where they are. But they're going to come from all over. And, they're gonna, and, and God's going to connect the dots for us. And they're going to come up and say, hey, thank you for giving faithfully for 15 years. Because I was saved because of it. And so it doesn't all go back in the box when we give our box to God. But yeah, when we tip, when we give a little bit here and there, sure. You're literally, you're just, you're just, it's not helping you. You're missing it. You're missing the point. And this is why God calls people to step forward. And I don't mean run forward. It doesn't say he ran all the way from the back to the front. He stepped. He took a step. What step is God calling you to take this week? What step is God calling you to take in this season? So often we, we'd prefer something that's kind of far out there. It's like, oh yes, I'll work on that. No, 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 no. What's the step right now for you? 
What's the step? Is it, is it uh, we, we talked Wednesday night about, about leading a small group in this new season in, in January, hosting a small group. Maybe the step is attending a small group, right? But what's the step? There's, there is a step, I think, for all of us. There's a step for me, uh, just even in what I shared. That's a step of faith going, all right, God, I believe that we can do this. So there's a step. It's not gonna, you're not going to see the ground in front of you all the time, but when God's calling you to take a step, you take a step. And then there's a chain reaction. After that man stepped out, after that man obeyed the voice of Jesus, Jesus is in his house on his day. The guy in the back obeys him. The guy in the back steps out. The guy in the back does what he knows he's going to be judged for doing, what he knows other people are going to look at him funny for doing. Right? And, 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 and I believe God's calling people to step out, imperfect people, people who've been dealt a bad hand. <laughs> Come on, somebody. People who've got, that was good. That, that was pretty good. I mean, that was like, that was kind of poker version going on with the withered hand thing. You know, a tough crowd, man. Lord. Man, good thing I got ready myself. Good thing I got prayed up myself. I can't rely on you all. I just, it's G, me and Jesus up here, Lord. And Lord, it's just us. It's just us. They don't, they don't, they don't, they're not thankful. They're not grateful. All right, Lord, we're going number two. So he's going to call some people to step forward, right? People from the back, people who have been on the back, people who have felt disqualified. He's going to call them to step forward. But he's also, he's going to, those who are on the sidelines, he's going to call them to step up. And this is what he's doing. He's calling the Pharisees to step up. Notice, he, he, he calls the man forward, and then he asks the Pharisees a question. This is not, he's not trying to engage them in an argument. And we know this because when they don't say anything, he's grieved. He wanted them to say something. He wanted them to respond to his question. Because his question, Jesus' questions, they always go right to the heart. Right? Because oftentimes we miss it because we're looking at surface situations, not internal systems, not heart stuff. When I say heart stuff, I mean your mind, your will, and your emotions. So even, even I was talking with our kids this week, and we, we, we were reading Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs chapter 4, that it says, guard your heart, for out of your heart flows all of the issues of life. And so we have to understand that, that the issues in our life come out of our heart. They don't come out of the way we were treated, the way we were raised, the, what so-and-so said to us, how this guy cut me off. Like, that's not the issues of our life. The issues of our life flow out of our heart. Therefore, as we submit our hearts to Jesus, as our hearts get better, our entire lives get better. All the issues get better. Because we're not, we're not victims of our circumstances, we are people living out of our hearts. We're talking out of our hearts. We're thinking out of our hearts. We're dreaming dreams out of our hearts. Right? We're, 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 we're working. We're spending money out of our hearts. It's all an extension of what's inside of us. And so Jesus knows this, and, and, and yet the Pharisees are missing it. They're looking at the external situation. They're looking at making sure that everybody is acting correctly. They're completely missing it. And Jesus, instead, he asked a question that is intended to help them see the heart. And so if we could put that scripture up there where he asked the question, he said, he said is it lawful? And that's, that's a legal question, right? 
because this whole thing is a legal issue. The idea of working on the Sabbath, I know it doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but it was a very big deal to them, primarily because God said it was in the Old Testament. It was punishable, punishable by death. You were to be put to death if you worked on the Sabbath. Okay, so you get a couple thousand years of that ingrained into you, you're going to be scared to work on the Sabbath. Right? And so what happens is, Jesus says, is it lawful? This is a legal question, guys. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Now that's interesting. Because if he would have just said, is it lawful to do good? They could say, well, yeah, as long as you don't. And they had the 39 rules, right? So one of them was you couldn't walk 2,000 paces on the Sabbath. You could walk 1,199 paces, but you couldn't walk 2,000 or that's work. So you had to count your steps. You say, okay, we're going to go to grandma's house today. We got we to gotta figure out how many steps, right? And it, but these are the laws that they had created around the Sabbath because they didn't want to work. And so Jesus said, is it lawful to do good? If he would have just said that, they would have said, well, yeah, within certain parameters. Yes, you can do good as long as you don't have to walk more than 1,999 paces. Go ahead, do all the good you want. <laughs> just don't walk 2,000 paces, right? But instead, Jesus said, is it lawful to do good or to do evil. And this is where he's opening up a whole new can of worms for them. A whole new thought process. That the Sabbath was not intended to be just about us doing nothing. Because sometimes doing nothing is doing evil. He said, guys, you're either doing good or you are doing evil. You're working either way. You say, well, I'm not working on the Sabbath. But you are not doing good, which is doing evil. So you are working on the Sabbath. He's pointing out to them, and really he's reminding them, once again, Proverbs, me and the kids are reading Proverbs chapter 3 this week, and it says, it says, do not withhold good from someone who deserves it. When it is in your power to do. He says specifically, do not tell them, come back tomorrow and I will give the thing to you. When you have it in your house to give today. And then he says, do not do evil to your neighbor. As if it is evil for somebody to need something who is a deserving person who literally like they're going to use what is needed. It's evil to say, ah, not today. We'll help you tomorrow. This is why Jesus is getting them to see it. Because they weren't seeing it. They thought their inactivity was good. Period. All inactivity is good. <laughs> no. Rest, the kind of rest that God wants us to have is not a rest of inactivity. He's calling the Pharisees to step up. They saw the guy, but they never saw the guy. They never saw him. They never really saw him. And this is what I think God's calling many of us around City Chapel to do, to step up. You've been noticing people, but you haven't been noticing people. You've been seeing people, but you haven't been seeing them. And you've rested in the kind of contented thing that my inactivity is somehow good. 
But no, man, God is calling us to step up. God's calling us to step up. Hey, a practical application this week, November 8th. God's calling us to step up and vote. Because inactivity is not good. You're not excused from your ina- because of your inactivity. You can't just, it, what's, the, what's the saying people say, if you don't vote, you can't complain? You can't complain anyway. Just don't complain. <laughs> Stop it, you whiners. But do the thing you're supposed to do. Do the thing that could make a difference. Do the thing that could alter the future of our country, right? Like, do, like prayerfully do the Engage. Engage in your community. Engage in your environments, right? Engage in flag football. Engage in sports around the area. So that not, not because you need to do it for yourself, but because you actually can see people. And as you see people, you actually see the needs that they have. And you actually have the resources sometimes to meet those needs. Jesus is not condemning the Pharisees. He's inviting them. Hey, step up, guys. Like, you've been, you've been here all this time. This guy's been coming all this time. How come you're not happy that he's stepping forward? How come you didn't invite him to come down and be healed on the Sabbath? Why is it that you think your inactivity is good? But it's not good. We're all working in here. We're all doing something. Some of us are doing evil and some of us are doing good. So he's inviting them, guys. Isn't it just as lawful to do good as do evil? Because it truly was actually the second part of his quote, he says to kill or to save a life, right? They did have an exception within all of their rules that if it would save a life, then it was legal. So if you walk 2,000 paces or whatever to save a life, that was fine. If you reset somebody's broken bone to save a life, that was fine. If you did, they had 39 rules, but all of that, like if you did it to save life, then it was okay. That was, that was their little exception. And Jesus is saying, look, by you not saving lives, you are killing people. You're not, you're not, it's not, it's not like, well, we didn't save any lives today, but uh, we didn't, we didn't lose anybody. <laughs> Man, church can get like that, right? Oh, nobody got saved, but we, we, we didn't lose anybody. They're all still attending. You're missing it. You're missing the point. The whole point is to save life. The whole point is to help people. The whole point is to bring them into eternity. If you're not doing that, you might want to shut down your church. Because all your saved people who keep gathering every Sunday, they're wasting their time. And it's, somebody asked me that one time, because they, they, they were part of a small church and they were looking at going to this other church. Not, it wasn't my church at all. But they were asking me, like, does God sometimes want churches to die? To shut down? And I said, well, it depends. Are people getting saved there? Like, like, like I don't mean, are you getting other people from other churches to show up at your church? I mean, <laughs> I mean, are people being saved? Are they coming to know Jesus? If not, then sure. I think God's perfectly fine with all of these Christians moving over to all, with all these Christians. Because really, what does it matter? It's the kingdom of God. Those Christians are now with those Christians. And those Christians went with those Christians. And those Christians got with those Christians. And yada, 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 yada. And we call that church growth. But it's not. It's church movement. Jesus said, you guys, like, you're looking, you're missing it. There's this guy in the back. He needs change today. I'm going to change his life. 
I'm going to touch him. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to change him. This is what Jesus wants to do. This is what Jesus always wants to do. And then finally, so he calls the guy, he calls people in the back to step forward. He calls people on the sidelines to step up. And then he calls the man and he says to the man, he says, stretch forth your hand. In other words, his withered hand was not the one he was showing everybody. And I would have liked this to read a little different, that Jesus healed him and then said, stretch forth your hand. He didn't do that. He said, stretch forth your hand. And as he stretched it forth, then Jesus healed him. And so this is the, my third point, that when, when Jesus is in his house and when he's in charge on his day, he calls people in the shadows to step out. He calls people who are hiding to step out. He calls people who are uh, disguising to step out. One beautiful story uh, that I heard, and I, and I guess I won't name any names because I didn't talk to the person if I could share it or not, but it, it was a really great story where there was, there was someone uh, who had moved to Texas and uh, got, a, got a realtor, and uh, this, 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 this realtor um, helped them find their home. Great realtor, found a great home. And then the week of the sale, the realtor kind of was MIA. It was just vacant. I think the realtor's wife showed up and helped them kind of close things up. But they just never heard back from the realtor again. It's kind of weird. And uh, just kind of went about their life, you know. But just recently, they got a call from that, from that realtor. And that realtor shared that the reason why he was MIA was because nobody knew it, but he was dealing with alcoholism. And he would go on these, these long, like, bouts of five days or something where he, he was just kind of out of it. And then it'd take him a, multiple days to get, to get back. And then, and then things would get really stressful, and then he'd go down again. And then he'd come up for air, and then things would get stressful, and he'd go. And uh, anyway, this is, this is years later that he calls him up and says, look, I just wanted to, I know it's weird how, how it ended. Kind of weird, and I just wanted to say I'm sorry that I left you hanging, that, and this is why. And uh, I got into rehab, and I found Jesus, and I've been sober for X amount of whatever. And uh, yeah, that's it. And I, I, th I think they actually met with him. I think he said, can I, can I have lunch with you or something? I think they actually met face to face. And I, I was so blown away by that. Because I've been a pastor for quite a while, and I have not heard of a lot of people who are willing to take their shriveled alcoholism... <laughs> who are willing to take and, and, and put it out there. But that is the kind of stuff that, that, that changes things. When you go back to the people that you hurt, when you go back to the people that you betrayed, when you go back to the people that you wounded, when you go back to them and say, look, I realize what I did to you, and this is why. This is what I was dealing with. And then I found Jesus. And then Jesus changed me. Not only does this, like, because I mean, some people are going to hear that and they're like, okay, yeah, whatever. Right? And, so that, and, and that's why I told the person who was telling me the story. I'm like, I'll bet, I'll bet he's been going to a lot of lunches with a lot of people. And he said, yeah, like for the last like, couple months, he's been having all these meetings. And I said, man, that will do more for the kingdom of God than me standing up and preaching for a month. A month of Sundays. Because, like, I'm up here telling you about the Word of God and the Bible and everything, and it's great. And you, you get a little revelation, and that's lovely. But, man, when you see somebody 
who you know they were messed up because you got affected by it and it kind of messed up you a little bit, kind of hurt you. And they come back and say, look, my hand was withered, but this is what Jesus did for me. This is how Jesus changed me. This is what Jesus is doing in my life. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I just want to apologize for the hurt that I caused you. Holy cow, that's crazy. Like that's the greater witness of Jesus and his power than anything I could say up here on a Sunday morning. And that is how the kingdom of God goes forward. When God is in, when Jesus is in his house on his day, there are people who walk out of that day and they walk out of that house and they visibly show the transformation that Jesus has performed for them. And it's undeniable. And the religious leaders are, are just have, they have to be silent. They don't know what to say to that. All the skeptics have to be silent. They don't know what to say to that. All the people who thought that, well, maybe that person. And, and suddenly, like, it doesn't, it doesn't make that, that realtor look bad. I, I think he's still a realtor, still, still, still doing real estate. It makes, it makes him look redeemed. It makes him look changed. It makes him look saved to a bunch of people who don't even believe in God. And even these people that don't believe in God, they're like, well, something happened to him. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but something, because I surely would never call somebody after a few years and be like, yeah, that one time I stood you up. I'm real sorry about that. I'd never, I don't have the humility to do that. And the truth is a lot of people who call themselves saved also don't have the humility to do that. <laughs> Which is why when Jesus is in his house in his day, he calls those people in the shadows to step out. It's like we get saved and it's like we have this perfect past. <laughs> like we get saved and, well, I confess it all to Jesus so I don't ever have to say anything to my ex-wife. Really? Oh, it got quiet. Okay. Because it wasn't just her. Come on, it wasn't just her. You know that. <laughs> you said some stuff. You did some stuff. My goodness, and, and, it's, and it's like, but what, what, what really brings us out of the shadows is when we, because here's what happens. You can be forgiven, but not healed, right? You can be forgiven. God can forgive you, you and God, you guys talked it out. Cool. But if you want to get healed from the system that wounded you, you're going to have to get out from the shadows and you're going to have to bring that thing that God maybe is even still working on. And you're going to have to reveal it. You, God cannot. And this is what James says. James says, confess your sins, therefore, one to another. So that you may be healed. Forgiveness comes from God and God alone. You don't confess to me to get your forgiveness. Don't confess to a priest. None of that. You confess to God. But if you want to be healed, you're going to have to talk to somebody. You're going to have to, and sometimes it's just that confession of, I know I wronged you and I'm really sorry. I know I didn't pull up my end of the bargain and I'm sorry for that. And this is how his kingdom moves forward. This is how he's glorified. This is how our story can mean something. Like, I think, I think if it was up to Jesus, I mean, seriously, I think if it was up to God, I think God would probably happily just rush to the back Every single time. Just touch somebody. Boom. Zap. Healed. You're done. Cool. And go on to somebody else. I think he would do that. But the truth is we don't always live in the back. We don't live on an island. 
And when God is in his house on his day, he wants not just, he doesn't just want you to get it. He wants the Pharisees to see it. And then he wants everybody else to see it. He wants, he wants everybody to figure out that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that he is Lord of rest, that he creates rest. For alcoholics, yeah. For drug addicts, absolutely. For porn addicts, yes. <laughs> he creates rest. For lazy people, for good, for unmotivated, he, he creates rest. For abusers, he creates rest for the abused. He creates rest. So sometimes you have to take that out and you have to ex get it out of the shadows and you have to share your story with somebody. You've got to share it. You've got to let somebody know. And it brings healing. That's what brings healing. The man stepped forward. That was awesome. But not until when he revealed it, that's when Jesus was able to heal it. So, Father, right now, I just pray for this church, the Church of City Chapel. May this be a place where it's your house. This is your day. It's your house, and you're in charge, Lord. We submit to you. I just, I just thought of something real quick just as we close. Because the truth is, I, I guess I was, as I was praying, I was thinking about everybody here and there's different stuff that we need. And the truth is God could reveal that to, to me. He does every once in a while. He could reveal it to Alan. Could reveal it to Poppy. Could reveal it to some of our prayer team because they're in here. They're praying. Lord, what do you want me to reveal? But he doesn't sometimes. He, he, he puts a veil over my eyes, puts a veil over all the prayer team's eyes, over the prophets and stuff, because he wants you to step forward. Does that make sense? He doesn't just want Alan to rush up and read your mail and put his hands on you, bam, boom. Sometimes, yeah. But no, a lot of times he's, he, he's laying it on your heart. You go talk to somebody. You send that text message. You step out. So I want to encourage you, for those in the back, and not physically in the back, but those of you in the back of, of, of if you feel far from God, I encourage you, take a step. Take a step. Take a step. If you're on the sideline and you find yourself becoming more judgmental, more critical, step up. Get involved. Trust me, you're not going to judge somebody and serve them at the same time. Step up, try to help. And finally, if you've been in the shadows, it's time to come out from the shadows. It's time to reveal what God is healing, what God is doing in your life. You need to tell somebody. You need to share it. Father, I pray that you would, by your grace, you're in charge. You do all of that in our lives. You lead us in that. If you're here today and maybe you're far from God and you say your step is to believe in him and just put your faith in him, and maybe even renew that faith. Would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray specifically for you. If God's calling you to renew that faith, to step up into salvation and just invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be in charge. That's awesome. Father, we pray for these, these hands that are going up. We pray that you, you say that you respond to that, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
will be forgiven, that as soon as we confess our sins to you, you wipe them away, you wash them clean, you give us a clean slate. We believe that. We put our trust in the finished work of Jesus, that his blood is enough for our salvation. And we invite you, Lord, to take up residence in the hearts of these ones who raise their hands, to come in and, and uh, yeah, take charge of their rest, their Sabbath. Come be their Sabbath for them. Give them rest as they submit to you. Show them what steps you want, how, how you want them to step forward. Show them how you want them to step up. Show, you, show them how you want them to come out from the shadows. We make a commitment right now to follow you, to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.